Welcome to Care to Lead, Your Path to Leadership Success, brought to you by the Vizient Nurse Executives Network. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Barbara Seymour, Associate Vice President of Member Connections at Vizient, and I'm so pleased to welcome today's guest, Dr. Diana Mason, Senior Policy Service Professor for the Center for Health Policy and Media Engagement at George Washington University School of Nursing. Dr. Mason is a past president of the American Academy of Nursing and the former editor-in-chief of the American Journal of Nursing. She highlights current issues in our profession through radio and print journalism. Welcome, Dr. Mason. Thank you, Barbara. It's a pleasure to be here, and please call me Diana. Well, thank you, Diana. You know, you have such a unique ability to influence health policy through your work in journalism. Tell us about your current role and what happened in your life and career that made you choose this path. So my current role, I'm in preferment, actually, which is something you should want to aspire to. It's sort of retirement, (laughs) but it's doing what you prefer to do in retirement. And so I'm able to pursue some passions that I have. And one is looking at using media to promote population health. So I've produced and hosted radio programs for over 35 years, and they focused on health. I don't go on and I'm not the expert on the topic. I would have you on and interview you about a topic. And I think it's really important to get nurses' voices out to the public. I think it's a social responsibility, actually, that we have. But I also do a lot of writing. I blog for JAMA. I write commentaries for JAMA and often with other colleagues, sometimes nurses, sometimes social workers, others as well. And I feel it's really important to highlight some of the most important policy issues of our day. Part of my passion for this comes from my baccalaureate education at West Virginia University many years ago. I had a professor by the name of Claire Milieu, who was a public health nurse. And Claire came into a public health class one day with a newspaper under her arm and handed each of us a page of the newspaper and said, find something on this page and relate it to health. Well, she had given me the business section, and I said, well, there's nothing (laughs) about health here. And she proceeded to show how everything in that newspaper, including the business section, was related to health. So she really helped me to understand that all that we're doing in our world really does affect our health and our well-being. So I've, in my preferment, have devoted much of my time to trying to get nurses, healthcare, and our communities to understand we don't really need to invest more in healthcare. We need to redesign healthcare and we need to move upstream and invest in creating healthier communities. So I have this passion for trying to communicate what are some of the most important issues that nurses and others should be dealing with that aren't necessarily down the path we would have taken 30 years ago, but rather looking at how do we promote health and communities? How do we build out primary care? How do we support family caregivers who are giving the bulk of care in this country? And issues like that, that I think nurses actually could and should be leading on and are leading on in many cases. Yeah, I read some of your work during the pandemic, and I just loved how you focus on increasing visibility and education about the expertise and perspectives and the work of healthcare professionals. Where do you see the largest gaps, and how can we as nursing leaders help bridge these gaps? 
I've done some research on the representation of nurses in health news media. There was a study called the Woodhall Study that was published by Sigma Theta Tau, the Nursing Honorary Society, in 1997. This study was done at the University of Rochester School of Nursing. They looked at some of the leading print media of the day, national newspapers, regional newspapers, news weeklies like Time and Newsweek, and our own trade publications like Modern Healthcare. And what they found was that nurses were used as sources in only 4% of the stories about health. And in Modern Healthcare, it was 0.6% of the stories, and that's our own trade publication. So I was interested 20 years later in replicating that. I thought the Future of Nursing Report in 2010, 2011 had come out. There was lots of buzz around advanced practice nursing and about the report itself. I thought things must have changed. So I put together some funds from a variety of organizations and a team of people to look at replicating the Woodhall study. And what we found was that in 2017, nurses were used as sources in 2% of the health news stories in the same publications. Now, the difference between the 4% in 1997 and the 2% in 2017 was not statistically significant. So we're not saying things have gotten worse, but we are saying nothing has changed. And this is despite the fact that we are more highly educated than we've ever been, but the media continues to not see us as sources for their stories. So I wanted to, again, with another team and my good colleague, Barbara Glickstein, has been a partner with me in this. We wanted to understand why. Why is this happening? And so we interviewed healthcare journalists about their experiences with using nurses as sources. And what we found was that there are huge biases about nurses, about women, and about positions of authority in healthcare. They all want to interview the rock star doc, even though they may be missing the best part of their story if they don't interview a nurse on the topic. And I had one health journalist say to me he wasn't going to participate in the study because he covered the business of healthcare. He didn't cover nurses. And I said, well, we're interested in journalists who are not covering nursing per se, but covering the broader health and healthcare issues. And he said, but I cover the business of healthcare, so I wouldn't interview a nurse. And I said, do you realize that the chief nursing officer of your local hospital is probably accountable for up to 70% of your budget and is often the vice president for patient care services and has all these other departments reporting to him or her. And so who better than the chief nurse officer to interview on the impact of budget cuts on patients, on family, on staff, whether they're institutional cuts, whether they're cuts in federal Medicare spending, whether they're state cuts. So we've got a job to do with educating journalists about nurses. What they told us was that nurses are not stepping up. We don't respond to journalists' requests for interviews in a timely fashion. We don't issue press releases about the important work that we're doing. We just aren't media savvy. So I think it's really important for nurses to look at not just educating journalists about what we do, because they also said they don't understand really what we do, but also educating them about what we could add to a story and not just about nursing. We know that we have nurses who have deep expertise on diabetes management and self-care. I want that journalist to interview the nurse when they're doing a study on diabetes, not just go to the nurse when they're doing a story on nursing. So we've got to be ready to step up, to speak up, 
and to educate journalists about what we do. But they also told us that when they go to public relations departments in hospitals and other healthcare organizations and in universities with schools of nursing, and when they go and request somebody for an interview, they're never given a nurse. And even if they ask for a nurse, they may not get the nurse for an interview. So we've got work to do in our own organizations with helping those organizations realize that they're missing a real opportunity to get the voice that the public trusts most out to the public. It can only help to advance the mission and the visibility of that hospital or that healthcare organization in the communities it's serving. Diana, that's pretty awe-inspiring work that you've been able to influence and represent that voice for over 3.6 million nurses nationwide. What's the biggest thing you've had to overcome as a nursing influencer? As nurses, we're very comfortable in our nursing silo, and I think we've got to get out of the silo. So when I was editor-in-chief of the American Journal of Nursing, towards the end of my decade in that role, I started to realize that I'm really immersed here in nursing, which has been great. This is my life. It's my work. I love nursing. But I needed to get out of the silo, that I needed to be in more interprofessional circles. And so I set for myself a goal of three to five years of really being deliberate about my efforts to engage in interprofessional work and discussions. And so I was part of a small health policy salon in New York City called the Herman Big Society. And I made sure I showed up and I got there early. I did the networking. I networked afterwards. And at one point, I was asked to take over and be president of that society. I then stepped up in other circles and was invited to join the boards of two important organizations. One is Public Health Solutions in New York City that really looks to promote the health of vulnerable families and communities in the city. And the other is the Primary Care Development Corporation, which is a community development financial institution that works throughout the country to build primary care capacity. And when there was an opening for chair of one of the board committees for the Primary Care Development Corporation, I volunteered. I didn't wait to be asked. And so I believe I am a respected member of these boards and have set the path for making sure that these organizations realize they never want to be without a nurse on their board. I am the first and only nurse on the board of the Primary Care Development Corporation, and I'm intent on making sure I am not the last and that they always have a nurse on that board. So I want to encourage nurses to really look at where you can bring your voice in your community. Obviously, you're doing it in organizations. Nurses at the bedside are interprofessional all the time. You have to be. (laughs) But look at where you can lead and where you can be in spaces outside of the walls of that institution and bring your voice to community debates. My voice is very respected in my community, and I'm leading several efforts that people are surprised. They're surprised. I have a doctorate. They introduced me as the nurse with a PhD, and I try to play that down. I don't think that's the most important thing about me or my work, but it's been interesting to me the extent to which they don't expect a nurse to have a doctorate. I think it's really important for us to to get out in our communities and to show that we are leaders, not just in healthcare, but in advancing the health and well-being of our communities. It's so true, everything that you just said. And thinking about that involvement of nurses, how do you envision that future for nursing and healthcare? 
I strongly believe that we have to move upstream. The Hill-Burton Act was passed in 1946, and that law enabled hospitals to be built in communities, to be built up and renovated and expanded in communities. And this was after World War II, when we had major advances in medical technology and saving lives. And the feeling was, wait a minute, if we could do that on the battlefield, we should be able to do that at home, but we have to build our capacity to do that. So we've built out this acute care system in this country, but we've neglected public health, primary care, uh, and community-based care in general. And so we've got this healthcare system that's huge and is eating up a whole lot of resources. And I believe we have to right-size that healthcare system. We need to build out primary care. I'm living now in upstate New York in the Catskill Mountains. There is no federally qualified health center in the Catskills, the whole region. And that's a travesty. We are really lacking in primary care. So I'm leading an effort to bring a federally qualified health center to my community here. I know that it will mean that people stay healthier, illnesses are caught earlier, they are better managed, and hopefully we don't have to use more of those downstream resources that are scarce anyway. And people have to travel an hour to get to a hospital that can really manage their care. So I think it's really important that we move upstream in that regard and build out primary care. But as I said before, I think we also have to invest in the health of our communities. I lead a community coalition on addiction prevention, treatment, and recovery services. Well, why is it that we have this epidemic of opioid addiction and yet We don't even have public transportation in the communities that are served in this region. There is no public transportation, a high rate of poverty. So if I, as a young person, want to try to get to work, get to school, if I want to go hang out with my friends, I can't get there. My family may not be able to afford for me to fill the gas tank or may not even be able to afford the insurance on the car. But that's an example of how if we invested more in communities, we might not have the social isolation that young people are experiencing that's leading to a higher rate of addiction and overdoses. So investing in communities, and I think nurses, we claim to be about prevention. Well, let's use our voice and call for public policies and private supports that really do focus on building healthier communities and shifting resources in ways that we know will make a difference on social determinants of health. Diana, you've talked about using voice and really coming out of our nursing silos. What advice would you give our listeners today to be strong advocates and to have their voice recognized as leaders in nursing and healthcare? I think first and foremost, nurses need to step up. We need to own our power. We need to own our expertise, recognize that expertise, and be prepared to step up and be bold. And I believe in being thoughtfully bold. I think the time for being risk-averse is over, over. There are risks in everything that we do. And yet, It shouldn't cripple us. It shouldn't stop us from using our voices and acting. So I say, step up, be thoughtfully bold. And for those nurses who might be older in my (laughs) age cohort, I say, step aside and open the door when you step aside. And we've got to step aside and open the door for those colleagues who are 
from historically marginalized and underrepresented racial minorities. We must build a diverse workforce and leadership, bring more diversity to the leaders that we have in the profession. And so I say, open those doors, mentor the next generation, and guide them. I've had a very rich career. I don't need another position. I'm no longer climbing that career ladder. I don't need to do that. What I do need to do is open the door for somebody else to step in, and that's what I'm spending a good bit of time on. I really think we have to think about how to support those among us who are out of the box, who are the innovators, who think differently than we do. And instead of saying we can't do that, say, why not? Let's see what happens. So it's really supporting nurses among us who are thinking differently, who are being bold and speaking up and guiding the next generation to be those bold leaders. But I would caution us that maybe my cohort was not as bold as it should have been. And so when you're feeling like, oh, that's making me a little nervous what this younger nurse is doing, just sit with it. Keep your mouth shut, support the nurse, and see what happens. We are in a challenging time. And if we don't fix the work environments where nurses work and other healthcare workers work, we're going to lose the healthcare that we have come to assume will be there. This is a time for us all to think boldly and support innovators and take a leadership role in transforming the healthcare system and the health of our country. Diana, you've given us such great pearls today, and I really appreciate you sharing your story and your incredible work. It's been a pleasure having you. Well, Barbara, it's been a pleasure to be here, and thank you so much for this opportunity to talk to nurses. Yes, thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed today's discussion, please subscribe to hear more Care to Lead podcasts. Like us and send us your comments. Care to Lead is your path to success and is brought to you by the Vizient Nurse Executives Network. I'm Barbara Seymour. Have a great day.